The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. Hi, this is Mia Mosenzel, also known as Mia No Time for Love. Check out my latest book, Missing, available in print and ebook formats on Amazon. It's now time for the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios and sponsored by international award winning author Mia Mosenzia of Missing. The Mike Wagner Show can be heard on over 40 podcast platforms, as well as HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, and TheMikeWagnerShow.com. We can be heard in over 100 countries, featuring over 1,000 well-known and amazing guests throughout the globe, and named one of the top 100 global podcasts in the New York Weekly Times, Hollywood Entertainment News, Los Angeles Weekly Times, Apple, and Chartable. So sit back and relax and enjoy another great episode of the award-winning Mike Wagner Show. Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show. Powered by SoundCloud Studios. Visit online at soundcloudstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition way. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Widener Show. Get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Monsenzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Monsenzia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first to go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Monsenzia has garnered great reviews and Eve Love and Enjoys by Howard Celebrities, including Joanna Cassidy, Forge Riley, m ms So grab your copy today for Goals Missing by Mia Monsenzia. Available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com. We over 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music, and more. Also on HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and a few networks coming soon. Take the Mike Widener Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Wagner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies, baseball gear. Makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Molson-ZM for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Molson-ZM. Check it out today. Help support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the themikewidenershow.com. Make sure you give generously today. We're here with a terrific gentleman who spent his entire life in Miami and a career in the drywall trade before becoming an author. He was fascinated with a gentleman named Little Ray Thompson, a local legend, obsessed with the story after meeting and befriending him. And uh, his new book is a literary mix between Blow and The Wolf of Wall Street, which is covering everything and anything from the lawlessness to lifestyle of the... um. Of, of the world as well, traces. And of course, you also got um, Little Ray Thompson's uh, life from his uh, first job to becoming um, the top players in the 70s and 80s and Miami's uh, drug scene 
And we have a gentleman who's going to talk about the book, A King of Miami, which basically called The Scarface of the 21st Century. And, um, you know, just uh, talk about the book of Little Ray. Live, ladies and gentlemen, from the Plus Studios in beautiful downtown Miami. If he's not working drywall, he's writing about this book and talking about The King of Miami. Ladies and gentlemen, The King of Miami himself. Ladies and gentlemen, author Eric Sandy. Eric, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. How you doing? Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you on board, Eric. So you spent your you're spending your entire life in Miami and career in the drywall trade before becoming an author. You've been fascinated with Little Ray Thompson as a local legend. And of course, you've been obsessed with the story of meeting him and you became friends with him later on. Your new book is The Liberty and Mixed Between Blow and the Wolf of Wall Street and uh, covers everything and anything uh, from the uh, lawlessness and the lifestyle of the um of the scene traces and also um of Little Ray Thompson's life from his um from his first job to becoming um, a top player in the 70s and 80s Miami drug scene. And the book is called The King of Miami, basically just um, tracing his life about it. And, um, you know, it's captivating and, of course, compelling true crime life drama. And before getting all that, Eric, tell us how you first got started. Well, I first uh, heard about the guy, Ray, when I was about 10, 11 years old. A uh, family friend worked worked for him. And he was a younger gentleman. When I say younger, back then I was little. But looking back, he was like 21, 22 when he first started working for Ray. And um, he uh, was best friends with my uncle. And I was pretty close to my uncle's. And uh, so I kind of saw who my uncle was friends with. And this guy had all these, uh, you know, really expensive cars. You know, back then, some of his cars cost almost as much as our house <clears throat> that we lived in. So it was pretty interesting to me. And the guy was young. <laughs> when, like, he was older and an attorney or had some type of a corporate job. He was young, long blonde hair. So I knew there was something, something more to the story. And my uncle would kind of tell me what was really going on. Uh, he was a boat captain for a, for a guy that they pretty much, he was in control of a smuggling empire. And he was one of the largest marijuana smugglers from the 70s and early 80s. <clears throat> and uh, so that's, that's what kind of first got me interested, you know, when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And what was it one precise moment that simply influenced you into uh, writing about the book about Little Ray? You know, I guess over the years, I, uh, me and my uncle would talk to different people about uh, Little Ray. And uh, they just, every time we would tell somebody the story, they would they would just say, wow, that, that needs to be a movie. It should <laughs> be a movie. And, and I, of course, I always thought the same thing. And uh, the more I thought about it, I was making some good money in 2010. And I said, I'm going to spend a little little bit of my time and do a lot of research. And uh, <clears throat> that's when I first became friends with Ray. And at the same time, I was going to the courthouse, doing some research, and, uh, and was able to you know, meet him and go in there and spend time with him, spend, you know, few years uh, visiting him and becoming pretty good friends with the guy uh, at one time <clears throat> I considered us to be really good friends 
And, uh, but people say, uh, you know, he, he murdered people, so he's a bad guy. And it's just something that I've had to figure out in my life of, do I want to be friends with a guy that murdered people? And, and uh, I don't know, I just think that he, he, uh, he did it as a way of survival. It's like, murder these people or they're going to go to the police and tell them what I do. And back then they would charge him with enough uh, crimes that he would literally be on death row himself <clears throat> just for the organization that he ran. So it was a tough thing to wrestle with, you know, but uh, I have a lot of pictures of him where he's with his kids, you know, and, and every one of them is either hugging him or doing something very intimate with his kids. So I, I, I was very sure that he, he was a, a man that loved his kids and he didn't get into the drug smuggling you know, business to murder people. But when you get to a certain size and people want to, you know, kind of take advantage of you and tell you, hey, I want this or that, or I'm going to go to the police. Eventually you got to, you got to, you know, set the, <clears throat> set the, you know, set the standards and, and take care of it. It's unfortunate, but I don't know if it's right for anybody to kill somebody, to be honest with you. But uh, probably probably not. Probably not the right thing to do because he suffered some, some major karma for it. And, uh, but it's, that's kind of what I took from the story was, was uh, you know, how, how a guy stole 600 grand from him which is a 20 year friend, a very close friend, did a lot of partying with him. They were even roommates back when, when Ray was poor, trying to make ends meet. And the guy steals you know, 600 grand from him. Then he, then he goes to the police and tells the police that he stole 600 grand from Ray. And now Ray has a contract on his life. And he tells the DEA and everybody else that, uh, he uh, basically, uh, you know, <clears throat> is a drug smuggler. So they, all the different agencies know what's going on with Ray. So they started investigating everything about him. And then they finally catch him one night at a, at a bar. And the guy that was best friends with my uncle just happened to see him at a bar. And uh, back in the 80s, the guy that was best friends with my uncle Robert. He was he was a young guy. He was a boat captain for for Ray. He, they, basically, Ray would bring in marijuana. It was never cocaine, so he needed very large, you know, yachts to bring in fifteen thousand pounds of, of marijuana on each boat. Mm -hmm. So they were very expensive yachts back then. And uh, so basically, Robert, the guy that I was kind of like idolized. He was a boat captain, and he would have to wear the khakis, the hat, and you know, dress shirt, all this stuff. And Ray would hire old people to sit on the back of the yachts and basically just sip champagne. And if the Coast Guard or if anybody came up to him, it just looked like you know a couple older people were out on the yacht for the day. 
and Robert was the one, you know, that was, they paid the captain of the boat. That was the captain of their yacht, basically. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty elaborate, uh, you know, system that he had there, but it, it worked out pretty good. And uh, so it just, it, it, so many different things that uh, kind of fascinated me about it. But I, I don't, I don't think that it was ever right to kill anybody. Because when he killed his best friend, nine months later, you know, he had a son, a seven-year-old son, um, was killed, you know, two days before Christmas. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> yeah, so he, he kills the guy basically on, on March 12th of 1982, the guy that steals 600 grand from him. And uh, then on uh, December 23rd, of 1982, the same year, nine months. Basically, I spent enough time thinking about it. The time it takes to create a child in the womb was the time that he killed his, his friend that you know, ripped him off from December 23rd, two days before Christmas. Basically, Ray, Ray lived the life of he snorted 6,000, you know. He snorted $2,000 a day, basically an ounce of Coke a day he would snort. Wow. So he snorted $2,000 a day worth of Coke. And he did that for six days straight. And on the seventh day, he would go home. Truthfully, he would take a bunch of quaaludes and he'd sleep for 24 hours straight. Wow. And uh, so he gets home you know, a couple days before Christmas and uh, the, the wife she wants to go to Christmas shopping. So Ray said, yeah, go ahead. And they give the boy, his son, Charlie boy, gives him his early Christmas present, the bicycle. And he says to Ray, he says, hey, can I go down the street and show so-and-so my bicycle? And he said, yeah, go ahead. And the next thing Ray knows, he's laying on the couch, the cleaning lady's beating down the door saying, hey, uh, you know, you need to come out here. And he goes out there and uh, the lady was coming home from a Christmas party and she was pretty well intoxicated. Well, she hit Charlie Boy on his bicycle, dragged him 100 feet, then dragged his bicycle another 100 feet before wow. the bike was ejected out of the back of the, the, the vehicle. And this is in a this is in a gated like island community in South Florida where other gangsters have, have lived. Meyer Lansky lived right down the street from him. And if you remember, I don't know if you've seen the movie, it's a recent movie with uh, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino. Uh, all these, all these guys played in this movie. Just a recent movie came out a couple of years ago. But anyone had the guy Joe Pro in it. It was about Jimmy Hoffa. It, oh, oh, it was. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. What, what that was? That was a movie Hoffa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll that was it. I remember that classic. Yeah, we watched that. We followed up with the Irishman. That was another one yeah. too. And um yeah. this, the detailed story yeah. about Hoffa and um yeah, you wonder why, you know, how this came. And I remember that. That's starting to click to me right now. Yes, Hoffa. Yeah. yeah, the guy the guy Joe Crow, which was the guy that Hoffa had the problems with. He was the one that was in jail and had the problems with uh with Hoffa, you know, Al Pacino. And he was the one that Al Pacino Hoffa met in South Florida anyway. The guy, Joe Pro, he lived in the same subdivision, the same gated community as Ray did. 
But uh, yes, yeah, so I think it was uh, kind of a sad story about about karma. You know, I mean, I mean here he he kills a guy. Out, you know, basically the the day that they took the, the guy Jimmy that stole the six hundred grand from him, they they took him out. He had like a he had a thirty foot scarab power boat, and uh, he just bought Ray just bought that for his wife just to take the kids around the end of coastal. But they brought the guy Jimmy over there, and when they, when the day that they brought him out into the ocean and to Port Everglades, they're in a 30-foot speedboat, and, they, and the seas are 8 to 10 feet. And this is kind of almost unheard of. These are ridiculous, huge, huge swells. You know? And usually in the inlet, there's even worse. It's all chopped up and everything. So they, they didn't even take them a, they didn't even take them a quarter mile out you know, past the inlet before you know, Ray, Ray basically told him, hey, you know, get him up here. And they, they, you know, Ray put a gun to his head and blew the dude's brains out, you know? Wow. That uh, was something. Yeah. And so he, he eventually went to, went to court for it. And uh, one of the guys that was on the boat with him, the guy Bobby Vegas, he had, after, basically after Ray's kid had got killed, he, every time he would go home, he, all I thought about was his kid out on the street. So kind of really screwed him up pretty bad in the head. Eventually, he uh, he moved back to Chicago, where he was originally from, where his mom and dad lived. And uh, and that's and uh, the guy Bobby Vegas that worked for him, he he uh, took off to California, and he had some problems out there where he got some some big trouble with the California police out there. Well, he, so he told them so he could walk. Hey, I got a, I got a big Coke dealer and, and, uh, out of Miami that I can, I can set you up with. <clears throat> so he calls up Ray when Ray's up in, you know, Chicago and Bobby Vegas is like, Hey, uh, you know, I've had a lot of problems here in California. It's hard for me to make it, make ends meet. And Ray was like, hey, no problem. You know, I'm up here in Chicago. Come up here. I can get you a, a you know, apartment. So Ray got him a car, apartment, furnished it, gave him a job. The whole time he's working for the feds. And he keeps asking Ray, hey, can you give me some Coke? And Ray's like, no, you know, you know, all my Coke's mine. You have to get your own Coke. I got to get my shit from Miami. Mm. And uh, so he couldn't get him any Coke. So then the feds started pressuring the guy, Bobby Vegas. Then he's like, hey, I saw him blow a guy's brains out, you know? And uh, and uh, so he was he would go into Ray's bar there in Chicago to try to talk to Ray about it. Ray, Ray wouldn't say anything. So, okay. so, so basically, that's where the downfall came in. That's how he got arrested. So basically, yeah. that was a whole thing that just came down, and he served, um, you know, fifteen years in prison, and that was what nineteen eighty-two. Did you say eighty-seven? I'm trying to uh, figure this out here. Yeah, he he got arrested on January, I believe it was like January fifth, nineteen eighty-four, and he got he got put on death row in nineteen eighty-five. So he spent fifteen years on death row. He got off death row in nineteen ninety-nine, and. Uh, and he passed away in 2017, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, so he he, he spent uh, he spent a good amount of his life on uh, death row. 
And he, you know, he told me, he said, for the first four years, three and a half, four years, and all I was thinking about was the guy, Jimmy Savoy, that he shot, you know, and he's like, I, I don't know why, I don't know why that guy just let him get to me so bad, you know. And uh, and he he didn't like, you know, he wanted, of course, it was about money, but it was more about betrayal because he was in a bar in South, you know, South Florida called the Banana Boat, you know, and, one of the, he told one of the guys, he goes, you, you find Jimmy Savoy, I'll give you $100,000. You bring him to me dead or alive. And the guy was like, what about the money? Do you want the money? He goes, I don't give a shit about the money. I just want him. And so it was it was definitely about betrayal. Mm, that's you know? that's right. That's really interesting as well, too. And uh, we'll talk more about the book, The King of Miami, and just a couple of things, um, you know, just to clear up here. But first, listen to the Mike Widener Show at the themikewidenershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition way. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960 or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention to Mike Widener's show, get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries. Two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson has garnered great reviews and Eve Levin enjoys by Howard's celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Minions. So grab your copy today for Goals Missing by Mia Molson Zia. Available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on over 40 podcast platforms, heard in over 100 countries, and also on hamiltonradio.net, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and more. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram and Twitter today. For great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia for great books, merchandise, and more. I'll support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, Hello. and the themikewidenershow.com. Make sure you give generously today. We're here with a terrific gentleman, author Eric Sandy of the book, The King of Miami, here on the Mike Widener Show. Hello. And um, you spent some time in the drywall business. And um, what, what got you to transition going from drywall to uh, being an author? So what was that point that made you simply say that um, you'll be working in drywall and you still do in a way? What made you do the transition? transition going from drywall to being an author well you know I, you know i guess i'm still doing both of them but uh i i felt like the more I, the more i got into the story the more the more it fascinated me um i i just i started uh kind of learning a whole bunch of things about it like for example it's weird how things coincide if you will <clears throat> I uh, I guess when the day when they they announced that they were arresting the guy little Ray my father had had already got arrested from you know selling cocaine to some undercover cops and so we were in South Florida at that time so when he got bonded out of jail, he knew he was going to be facing 15 years in prison. A bunch of my family lived up in the Daytona area. So he moved everybody up to Daytona. This is where we relocated. I started school 
in, the, in this area. And one day he, he's trying to work and get a bunch of money saved. So my basically my stepmom will have money to take care of us while he's in prison. So he keeps trying to get his trial delayed to so keep working and working. And, and in January, we were on Christmas break. <clears throat> so my father, he's going to drive to South Florida to meet his attorney. And he said, hey, I'm going to take you with me. I said, okay, no problem. I was a Christmas break. So he drops me off at my buddy's house across the street from where we lived. And he said, I'm going to go talk to my attorney. You can play with your buddy or whatever. And when I get back, I'll pick you up. Well, my buddy wasn't there. He was at baseball practice. Oh. So his dad was there. He said, hey, you can watch TV, you know. And so we were watching something on TV. And next thing I know, there this news broadcast comes over the airwaves and says uh, that the federal government and the state have come down and issued uh, indictments for 13 individuals that are known to you know, run the largest smuggling operation known to the state of Florida. And they show Little Ray and they start showing all these people. And I didn't know any of them people. I, I knew who the guy Robert was, the guy that I grew up knowing. And I saw his face. He was one of the last people that they showed. And I just couldn't believe it. And so my dad, he shows up back at the house. And, and I tell my dad, hey, you can't believe, you know, you wouldn't believe what I just saw on TV. I saw Robert on there. His whole operation, the police are wanting him. You know, the government's, you know, the whole operation's over. And, uh, and this was like a news bulletin. That's how big it was down there at the time. They interrupted the show to say this. And um, <clears throat> so my, my dad, he goes over to the phone and pulls out his wallet and gets Robert's phone number. And this is back when the phones were on, you know, mounted on the wall. Mm-hmm. I remember those days. Yes, and party lines too, and um, dial yeah. a prayer, whatever it is, dial this. I remember that. And slamming it, that was the ultimate comeback right there. <laughs> yeah, but he you know, he went over there and he, he called the guy Robert on the phone, and Robert was in his house. And my dad was like, hey, uh, you know, Eric just saw you on the phone. or on the, uh, He just saw you on the, on the TV. They're looking for you. And uh, so... You know, Robert was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" So he just says, "He just says thanks and hung up." And and I, that was the last I saw the guy Robert. And I finally hooked up with him, I guess uh, probably uh, about three years ago. He lives up in Tennessee, but it was it was a long time after he went out of got out of prison, and you know now he's just a, like a just like a redneck guy on the mountains, little redneck guy. But back then, you know, he had uh, boats, you know, just like I said, every you know, every kind of toy a kid could imagine having, you know, motorcycles, two-wheelers, three-wheelers, jet skis, street rods, hot rods, um, brand new, like brand new 7 Series BMW, brand new 911 Porsche, mm-hmm. motorhomes. I mean, the dude had everything, huge piece of property. I mean, he was living the life. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So my uncle would always tell me about all the crazy stuff they were doing. And it really fascinated me. And uh, in 2010, I, you know, I was telling this guy about it. And he said, you should write a book about it. And I said, I said well, I do know a guy that you know, was, an, was an author. And he lived across the street from me. And he had, when I got in touch with him, he had actually lived in Vegas. 
and I told him the story and I paid him $15,000 and he wrote a story with a bunch of lies and kind of just a bunch of stuff that wasn't the truth and I, I didn't want to deal with it. And I had a contract with a pretty good size, uh, you know, book publishing company in, in uh, Vegas at the time. And he kind of he dragged his feet, didn't get the material done in time. And so I, I didn't meet the deadline for the contract and the publisher, she got sick. So anyway, I ended up doing a, you know, rewriting the whole thing myself. And as a person, you know, from a kind of broken home, living all over the place, I, you know, didn't have enough credits to graduate ninth grade. But, uh, you know, I've always been a person that wanted to learn more. And uh, so it was uh, quite a task to, to write this book. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly believe that, uh, you know, you can... You can watch a movie or read a book or hear a story about something or somebody, and some of it will will you'll never forget in your whole life. This is this is some of the stuff. I mean, it absolutely, is is amazing. It's it's unbelievable. This guy was one of the most hardcore gangsters of our lifetime. I really, after learning so much stuff about him, I really believe that. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned too that this uh, book uh, is almost like a cross between Blow and the uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. So, uh, so, 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 what was like the story behind the description of it between Blow and the Wolf of Wall Street? And of course, you know, being um, you know, Lil Ray being like the Scarface of Miami. Yeah, he 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 was, you know, and uh, so this kind of gives it more of an intimate, um, like uh, I think the Wolf or excuse me, Blow. That guy, you know, he had a little kid, you know, his little daughter, and I think he totally portrayed his, or he betrayed his daughter, told her he was going to straighten up, and just be, just total letdown to his daughter, you know, and, and this guy was somebody that, that lived for his kids, and the, the day that, that, you know, that he was buried, the guy, Robert, that I knew, well, he had a you know, Robert would come over to our house with these fancy cars and always partying. And sometimes my uncle would stay with us. Sometimes my uncle would stay with them. Sometimes he'd drop my uncle off all drunk. You know, so I know they'd been out all night partying. And they just lived mm-hmm. crazy lives, you know. And But the guy, Robert, he had a he had a really good-looking girlfriend, you know. So <laughs> he came over to the house, me and my, my brothers. We were just like, we, were, we didn't know what to think, you know. Just, this woman's like 21 years old, tall, blonde, and then come over to a bikini when they get done at the beach. And we were just like in awe, you know. But uh, he, he had everything, you know. He had the, he had the, the, the best life that I, that I ever saw as a kid growing up. He had, he had a lot of fun, but I also knew that when I was around him, it always seemed like, you know, talk about Robert. It always seemed like he was nervous or something going on in the back of his mind. Like he couldn't totally relax. And he, he had a chop shop. You know, they all grew up in South Florida. So some of his friends would like work at the, the Chevy dealerships. And they'd have these big sales where people come there and test drive cars. Well, his buddy, you know, would work there and give them the keys to like a brand new Corvette. And they'd go in there in the evening and go pick it up and, they just strip it and 
basically they would uh you know put the put numbers off of a rec corvette on the dot one and so i just remember you know being 12 13 years old driving in the back of a big old chevy truck dually you know and i know the thing is stolen it's got swapped out numbers on it and just i don't know it's kind of mm-hmm. fun to me i don't know it sounds pretty sad but kind of was felt kind of cool you know? mm-hmm. and, and what do you think the one part that went wrong in in the whole thing with the led to uh low rays um you know downfall and um all the other people like uncle robert and all that what was that one precise moment that started that started that downfall and what would have been done you know you know to to prevent it basically it's like you know one thing went wrong it's like you know what could have been done like you know to um how, how do i put this that like say you know um you know it didn't happen or, or something like that well i think when when Ray's kid had got killed, the boy Charlie boy, when when he was when he was killed, um, Ray just couldn't take it anymore. So he moved he moved up to Chicago, and I I think the thing that messed him up was when the guy Bobby Vegas called him, and Ray Ray not knowing that Bobby Vegas was working for the for the feds because Bobby Vegas. Basically, Bobby Vegas moved to California and, and became partners with a guy somehow that had a bunch of uh, bunch of marijuana fields. Well, that mm-hmm. guy missing. So then there's another guy that comes in the picture, and Bobby Vegas has problems with him. Well, Bobby Vegas shoots at the guy's car, so that guy goes to the cops. So that's how Bobby Vegas got in, in a bunch of problems, and they started, you know basically threatened them he's gonna be doing some jail time so today I can that's when he started saying he could produce to them a cocaine dealer out of Miami. And when you know Ray told me he refused to sell many cocaine, you know, he said, hey man, I, you know, I gotta get I gotta get my stuff from you know Miami. So I'm not selling any money. You have to get your own. So I think the Fed started putting pressure on him. You know, the guy Bobby Vegas said, hey, you know, you're saying this guy's a coke dealer, you ain't produce nothing. That's when he told him, hey, I watched him you know, blow the guy's brains out. So so basically, when he told them that, he he went to the uh, the guy, Bobby Vegas. He went he went and saw Ray at Ray's bar. And he said, look, the Fed's been coming by my house. I'm really nervous. They, uh, they stopped me and they're asking me about Jimmy Savoy. And, uh, and Ray said, look, you know, you don't have nothing to worry about because if they had any proof, they they had already done something. They're they're just fishing in the dark. Mm-hmm. Well, he was wearing a wire at that time, and he was still trying to get Ray to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And Ray just would never elaborate. Nothing on the murder, nothing, you know. And uh, so the guy, Bobby Vegas, he he leaves, and probably about five minutes later, next next thing Ray knows, he hears a bunch of tires squealing out there, like they slam on the brakes. He looks out the window. He sees a bunch of feds, you know, cars into the driveway, and he takes off out the back of the building, and they had already had the place surrounded. And so I think that sort, you know, it's, it's just a messed up deal, man. He trusted that guy Bobby Vegas, and had he not ever given Bobby Vegas the time of day, he would have he would have had he wouldn't have had any problems. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you want the readers to uh, get from the book? You know, I think it's a 
it's a lesson of karma. You know, I, I, I mean, as messed up it is to, I mean, I have kids, I have grandkids, and I think as soon as I mess with them, I think we'll kill them or whatever, but I'm just not sure, I'm not sure if anybody's qualified to make that decision, even, even a judge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Ray, Ray had, Ray had a, a very, you know, Roy Black, which is still a prominent attorney in Miami to this day, uh, he, he, he basically, they didn't have any evidence whatsoever. They had one guy saying, hey, I saw Ray kill this guy. And the guy Bobby Vegas admitted to them that he had killed another guy as well for Ray. And I just, I think it was a, it's a, it's a sad, sad dose of karma. Because when I, when I would go meet Ray and I would talk to him years, you know, over the years, it seemed like every time I brought up his son, I mean, his eyes would just start watering. Mm. And it made me think, because I've asked him before, I said, you ever cry in here? You ever break down or anything? And he's like, no, because you just can't do that in here. This ain't the place for that. You right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I would ask him about his kid, you know, Charlie boy, and here's a guy that's like in his 80s, you know, and I can just see his, and he's an old dude, you know, I see his eyes start watering and shit, man, I feel bad about asking him about it, you know, and I'm like, damn, man, why? I'd ask him about it, but it's like some things I just wanted to know, but I felt so bad asking. But uh, I, I think that the accident when when his son was killed, I think the car hit him. And he probably was probably didn't feel anything after that, you know. And and uh, and Ray going out there actually picking the kid up, holding him in his arms till the ambulance gets there. Then riding an ambulance to the hospital, knowing his son's dead. I, I just don't know how you get any worse. Mm-hmm. I, you know? Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, that's, uh, you know, something to be said as well, too. And where can we find your uh, book at the King of Miami, Eric? That's at uh, Eric's, Eric Curtis Sandy Author.com. Okay. All right. We'll certainly check that out. What's coming up for uh, Eric Sandy in the, uh, in, in 2022, we'll find out just one minute. You listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Also brought to you by our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, International Warring author Mia Molson Zia Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We'll be back with author Eric Sandy of the book, The King of Miami, after this time. The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1 800 303 3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention the Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Hey everybody, my name is Forbes Riley and I'm an American actress and a TV host. And I was delighted when I got my copy of Missing, which is Extraordinary Relation of Ordinary People based on a real life relationship. It's just, it's well written, it's amazing. You know, it talks about a man who has lost his wife and his daughter, and it's very well done. I'm gonna highly recommend that you go get your copy of Missing. It is a powerful, exciting read. Mr. Mian Moshe Zia. 
He is the author of Missing. And I want to give a big shout out and a kiss all the way halfway around the world to my dear friend. Check him out at Mia's website. It's called www.miamotionzea.com. Missing, available on Amazon. Again, I'm Forbes Riley, and I will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Hey, hey, this is Ray Powers, and boy, are you in luck. Right place, right time. Tuned in to The Mike Wagner Show. You heard me. We're back with author Eric Sandy of The King of Miami here on The Mike Wagner Show. And what can we expect from you in 2022 and beyond, Eric? As far as as, uh, as a book? Like in future projects, will it be a sequel or like an offshoot, anything similar like that? Um, I don't think it'll be anything similar to this. It'll be something more peaceful. <laughs> but uh, I, I think this book. I mean, it. Uh, you know what I'm what I'm hoping for is, um, you know, my goal. What I've always hoped for is, I'd love to see somebody be able to play the role of Ray Thompson. I honestly believe it's a it's an Oscar role. I mean, any. Anybody that can replicate that day where this guy's been up for six days snoring coke and he's not just a crackhead or whatever, he's this guy's a businessman and he's going to go kill this guy that that he feels the ultimate amount of betrayal out on a boat where it's 10 foot seas and, you know, they put him on a boat. I just, I think that would be uh, amazing to see that. And another mm-hmm. interview I was, I was just, I just had, they asked me, who do I think could play that role? Which I I would have thought it would have been awesome for James Conn to play the older Ray and his son Scott to play the younger Ray, you know? And uh, hmm. but Interesting. Yeah, James had just passed away. But I, I tell you, somebody that 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 could uh, pull it off would be Mark Wahlberg. Like, uh, he could, I've seen him in the movie Fear, like one of his first movies. And man, he was a scary dude in that movie. He pulled it off. Good <laughs> job, man. But I, but I think uh, it, it takes somebody to really awesome actor to, to pull off that scene. And uh, you know, he, you know, he shot the guy with a with a thirty eight with hollow points in it. I know it sounds disgusting, but <clears throat> for some reason, I I just would like to be able to see that that scene. Where they they're bringing the guy up on the on the side of a scarab, and they you know put his feet over the side of it, and you got these ten foot you know seas, and and he, he shoots the guy, and then they push his body into the water, and and this is clear water. I mean, this is like very. Of course, that day was rough, so it wouldn't be as clear. But um, to to be able to just see like a three sixty, like a drone footage of that scene. Or maybe from the front, where, they, where he shoots the guy, and they push him over, and, and seeing his body, his body being pulled, pulled down to the bottom through the clear water. I mean, I know it sounds disgusting, but that that's kind of the what makes this this uh, this story so amazing to me is that the heinous way that that he killed the guy is is like amazing to me. It's just so sick and disgusting. From from somebody, it's just not a cold blooded murder. Just go kill somebody. This mm-hmm. guy has his faculties together. He's got a business. He's got a family. He's got kids, and and the, to do that, that scene would be pretty amazing. I think that that's about as intense as I could ever imagine seeing in a mm-hmm. scene. Ever, you know? 
And we certainly hope it does uh, get to uh, film as well, too. We'd love to check that out. And who do you consider biggest influence in your career, Eric? Um, when you when you say his career, or or just saying you, know, you know who's the biggest influence, you know, not just career, but just about in anything. Um, no, you know, I have I have a few few big influences. Um, was a guy that was a, a, one of the biggest travel contractors in Florida. He was one of my big influences in life. But uh, I, I'd have to say that being around that kind of money. As a kid, I mean, my my father, like I said, he got he got into the the drug trade, and I think it was his first deal he ever did. He got busted. Mm. I remember he, he had guys come over to our house. He would pick up these Bahamian guys, these you know just really dark black suits, but they wear white suits, and he would pick them up at the Chalks Airline, which Chalks was an airline that flew from back and forth the Bahamas to Miami. Mm-hmm. And he would meet them there at the chalks, you know, right where they'd get off the airplane. They'd have to go through a metal detector. And these, I'm not even bullshitting, man. These guys had almost as much jewelry on as, as Mr. T. <laughs> I swear to God, man. They, yeah, they, man. <laughs> each one of them have like probably, my, my dad said it would take him 10 minutes just to take all his jewelry off to go through the metal detectors. And he'd come in with two briefcases, one would be full of cocaine and one would be full of cash. And he said they'd never, ever asked to look in the briefcases. All he did was take the all his jewelry off, go through the metal detector, put it all back on and take his briefcases. And and uh, so they would come by, you know, they came by our house and uh, it was one of the Super Bowls. And my dad, he didn't do any cocaine or smoke, drink. He didn't do none of that stuff, man. Totally straight dude, you know. Nice. Uh, but he was he he seen the money and he picked him up one time. There was a Super Bowl that was in nineteen eighty three. It was in Tampa, I believe it was nineteen eighty three in Tampa. And uh, so they came over the house. They they he picked them up. They went and got a, a motor home and they paid him like four thousand bucks. They said, Hey, you know, if we pay you four grand, will you drive us over to Tampa so we can go to the the, the Super Bowl? My dad's like, of course, you know, and and we meet these guys and they got all this freaking jewelry on and and uh, like a roll, a solid gold Rolex, but you can't even tell it's gold because it's just filled with diamonds. Oh my gosh, I mean, it's unbelievable amounts of <laughs> one of one of the guys' name. His nickname was Jet, and he had an emblem <laughs> that was like six inches long and it said Jet on his necklace. And it was just all diamonds, but uh, they, you know, they told my dad, hey, you know, what's your son's come with us, you know, and. And you know, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not. I can't let, let them go. And years later, my dad was like, yeah, you know, they wanted you guys to go. He goes, well, there's no way. He goes, they were driving down the road, you know, and they're sitting there at the at the table at the time. You know, I was driving the motor on like a big old mound of cocaine there. You know, and he's like, hell no, I can't let my kids be around that shit. <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. But it was just amazing, the stuff that, uh, you know, that we've seen back then. Mm-hmm. And certainly was. And uh, what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Um, you know, I, as far as, as advice, as far as just in general, um, I'm following you on that one. I said, what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? You even about the book, the story, or just just anything oh. in general? Oh, I would say that uh, you know, no matter what somebody does to you, I don't believe it's worth. 
you know, killing him over basically because, uh, you know, he, he paid the worst, worst karma you could imagine for it, I believe, from, uh, you know, losing his son nine months later to a couple years after that being put on death row. And just, I don't know. So, you know, I, I don't think it's ever right to take somebody else's life. It's kind of the main thing I got from it. Right, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, something we shouldn't do as well, too. Once again, we're with author Eric Sandy at the King of Miami here on the Mike Wagner Show. Eric, a very big thank you for your time. You've been nasty, fantastic. Learned a lot from you. Great story. Looking forward to having you again soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love to have you back. Once again, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your book, The King of Miami? So I really appreciate that, sir. It's ericcurtissandyauthor.com. Thank you very much for your support, sir. We'll certainly do so. Once again, Eric, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to having you soon. Just keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Laugh have you back. We wish you all the best. You've got a great future ahead of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1-800-303-3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Hey everybody, my name is Forbes Riley and I'm an American actress and a TV host. And I was delighted when I got my copy of Missing, which is Extraordinary Relation of Ordinary People based on a real life relationship. It's just, it's well written, it's amazing. You know, it talks about a man who has lost his wife and his daughter and it's very well done. I'm gonna highly recommend that you go get your copy of Missing. It is a powerful, exciting read. Mr. Mian Moshe Zia, he is the author of Missing. And I want to give a big shout out and a kiss all the way halfway around the world to my dear friend. Check him out at Mia's website. It's called www.miamotionzea.com. Missing. Available on Amazon. Again, I'm Forbes Riley, and I will see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Mike Wagner Show. Brought to you by international award-winning author Mia Mosinzia of Missing and powered by Sonic Web Studios. Be sure to join us again on over 40 podcast platforms and, of course, on the MikeWagnerShow.com, HamiltonRadio.net, and Diamonds FM. Don't forget to support our program with a generous donation at the MikeWagnerShow.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>